politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow subjects to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. Yes, you are subjects to this government, but you are still patriots to us here at Blaze Media. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house for more independent conservative talk. And one of the things independent conservatives or really any common-sense American that hasn't spent time in the D.C. swamp sewer would love to talk about is law and order, peace, serenity, where a person could walk, walk openly without fear of getting beaten to, to death. That's kind of the hallmark of, you know, any first world country, not just what's supposed to be the greatest nation on earth. Yet we have become... Like Afghanistan, South Africa, Fallujah, whatever country analogy you want to give. Last night I was speaking to a friend and we got to chatting about stuff and he kept on just trying to bring up the conventions and the the very overt political, juicy, soap opera type of stuff. And I kept bringing it back to what I always do, substance, substance. Oh, Trump, the judges, the judges. And I was like, do you know a Trump-appointed judge just mandated transgenderism on Idaho yesterday? I mean, something that they could never do in a million years legislatively. And I'm looking at all the literature, all the ads put out by the Trump campaign, by everyone. You would literally think this man is a challenger. You know, we're going to have chaos in the streets. We're going to have a crime wave if Joe Biden is president. Dude, open your damn eyes. Are we not seeing that now? Are we not seeing it right here in front of our eyes? And if you're going to tell me, oh, well, it's in blue areas. First of all, it's not true. It's it's, it's almost everywhere. But I mean, obviously, it's wor- it's the worst in, in the blue areas. Uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, first of all, he could have a budget fight over it and defund them. But how many of you think he'll do that in September and veto the bill or threaten to veto the bill? But either way, if that's the case, then what's going to change in a second term? So that was my point. My point was like, do what you want. I don't care about the election. We need to fight back at a local level. We need to fight back at a systemic cultural level. We need to create a new party. We need to create a new movement. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. I spoke about This for five years, I've been warning about undoing an entire generation of law and order, of gains against crime. And everyone's like, come on, Daniel, we're not headed back to that. Well, it turns turns out we are headed back to the 60s, 70s, and 80s with crime, albeit with a culture that is so much more violent and coarse. So the lack of deterrent today is going to be much worse than it was even back then. And then you have mixed with it this racial supremacism where not only are they pushing weak on crime laws, but they're using black supremacism. And yes, I will call it that as a pretext to ensuring that people, that criminals are undeterred. Police take a hands off approach on the, on the front end. Sentencing is reduced or eliminated on the back end. And one after another, We are seeing these cases of blacks attacking whites unprovoked, violently, gruesomely. They're career criminals. They should never have been out of jail. And they get nothing. 
one after another after another. Again, on net, the biggest victims, as I always say, are black victims. That's the, that's the most common. But what, what, what the media is doing is they're sowing this hatred as if whites are beating blacks and hating on blacks when it's really not true. And it's giving this very terrible element, which is a small minority among law-abiding African-Americans in this country, a license to just go and beat and harm. Obviously, everyone saw that with that man beaten out of a truck in Portland. I don't know what the status of the story with him is, but the alleged perpetrator caught on uh, film, or at least uh, one of them, the main one, was a career criminal. We saw that case in May at the Macy's in Michigan, that black teen who beat up a white Macy's employee Avoiding jail time. I'm sorry, it occurred on June 15th inside the Genesee Valley Mall in Flint Township. And, um, I mean, this was clearly racially motivated. And he actually said that the other one called him a name and, and it turned out it wasn't true. I mean, even if it was, it didn't warrant this. But remember how we always talk about the plea deals. How it's so hard to get evidence, it's so hard to get testimony. <clears throat> and even though he had a, uh, had a record, and even though he was already 18, wasn't even a juvenile, resulted, it was an assault with intent to do great bodily harm, should have gotten at least a 10-year sentence under a plea deal. He's going to lose, he's not going to get jail time. You know why? Because the man doesn't want to testify. And, and, and you know what? I don't blame him because he's going to be out on the street pending the trial forever. He knows he's going to be out. They're scared. This is the problem now. It's a double whammy. This is why prosecutors so often have to take a plea bargain. It creates this velocity of leniency in the system that the more lenient we are, the more lenient we are because then they're out pre-trial. So then they could intimidate witnesses. They could intimidate victims. They don't want to testify. He's likely not going to serve a day in prison. Not only that, they're going to expunge his record as a felony and they'll put it down as a misdemeanor. David Layton is the prosecutor. Look at this. Prosecutor. Nobody, according to the Daily Mail, he said, nobody's looking to hang felonies on young men. Said Leighton, I never have and I never will. Then he said, well, this was a bad crime, though, and he has to face the consequences. <laughs> so meaning you're going to downgrade it to misdemeanor and he gets no prison time. So he admits it was a bad crime. Oh, but young men, even though he's 18. I mean, I mean, if you have a big, I don't know, just a strong person is 16, 17. I mean, certainly 18, but even even below that. And just beats the hell out of someone. Does it make a difference the fact that he was 17 instead of 22? Or 25 or 35? I mean, this is where we are. This is where we are. The crime wave is coming back, but then this particular crime wave is getting worse. Again, it's black on black crime, it's gang violence, it's the shootings, drugs everywhere. We are much worse off than we were four years ago. 
Again, I'm not saying this is all Trump's fault, but you got to have a response to it. You got to fight back against the courts. You got to defund these cities. And you got to stop having Kanye West at the White House and stop yourself signing jailbreak laws. I mean, that, that, that's a good place to start. Stop just tweeting law and order and then policy and personnel wise, you do the same thing these Soros prosecutors do. I'm sorry, he's got to get a little bit of tough love. So that's the story with that. So, folks, as we talk about all of these cases, which, by the way, I could list from now until tomorrow and not exhaust even a fraction of these cases, uh, a lot of you guys have sent them to me. And look, please continue doing so. We're going to try to highlight them. But one of the most gruesome and disturbing ones was this case closer to where I live in Frederick, Maryland. We did an entire show on it with the local sheriff, Chuck Jenkins, last year, almost a year to this date, where this man, John Weed, was walking around, enjoying the Frederick Park, Frederick County Fair, I'm sorry, um, as we have in most counties around Labor Day. Last year, broad daylight, with his family, he's surrounded by one of these mobs, very belligerently, evidently, this 15-year-old walks up to him and asks him for a dollar. He doesn't give it to him. And they start this beatdown, this knockout game. And in particular, there were two brothers, a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old, that beat him to death. His head hit the asphalt. And we, we've seen a lot of that recently, unfortunately. And he died. One of them spat on his dead body. And, of course, again, there was a whole entire group there that um, helps these people ensure that the person has no way of defending himself. At the time, and we were still doing video back then, we had the sheriff on, and I predicted, unfortunately, you know, I doubt they'll be tried as adults, even though it resulted in murder. Maybe they'll get a year or two in prison, and this is the problem with our system. Well, it turns out the 16-year-old is on his way to getting nothing but anger management. And, I mean, what is so shocking here is not that it's shocking. It's really not an anomaly. Um, if it were, it would be outrageous to the family. But from a public policy standpoint, you could say something quirky about the case. But there's nothing quirky. There's nothing um, flaccid about the evidence here. This seems to happen everywhere. We saw with the beating in Michigan I just talked about where the individual was 18. He was an adult. Now, the, the victim didn't die, um, but he's going to get nothing. But certainly with juveniles, we are seeing there is no deterrent whatsoever. With us today to get get a reaction on this is none, none other than Sheriff Chuck Jenkins. He's been Sheriff of Frederick County since 2006, three decades of experience in law enforcement. Um, I wanted to get a broad view of what is going on with the anarchy in the country as well as the details in this case. Sheriff, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Daniel. All right. I mean, I know we still have lumps in our throat uh, from this uh the, 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 this ruling of the judge in, in, in Frederick County. Obviously, you were there at the scene of the crime. You were there at the fair that day, just a couple minutes uh, later after this had happened. You were on the scene. 
How does it make you feel that you try to do good police work, um, do justice for victims, deter crime, but ultimately what is done with these people is out of your hands. You saw the body on the ground and now you see, despite the fact that there is a guilty plea, there will be not a day of prison time for this individual. Let me start by saying, in this case, there's absolutely no justice for John Weed or his family. Um, I was there that day within 45 seconds to a minute of, of the attack. Uh, and let me just say, this was a savage attack. This was this was uh, this group, this mob, and, and you talked about this mob mentality, this mob uh, dynamic we're seeing everywhere, targeted this man because he was, he was just vulnerable. He, he was, a, a, I guess, a man, uh, I think around 60 years old, there with his family, unsuspecting. He was an easy target. Um, yes, I, I got there within that minute, uh, probably 45 seconds or so, saw him his bleeding out on the ground. I knew he, he was very, very bad shape. I didn't know at that point he would pass, but uh, I, I knew he was in very bad shape. And But what I saw around me uh, really, really angered me. I, I saw the crowd, the, the remainder of the crowd, still taunting this man, laughing, uh, you know, pointing, to just totally taunting this man who was laying dying on the asphalt. Um, and, and again, fast forward a year, I felt, I felt at that point, based on what I saw, particularly on the on the videotape that was floating out there, that this was uh, this should have been considered a hate crime for starters. Not to mention that both should have been charged as adults, I believe, especially the 15-year-old uh, uh, for the voluntary. I, I look at this as a voluntary, intentional, malicious act. Uh, should have been tried as an adult. There's no remorse. There's no regret there. Uh, and unfortunately, Mr. Mr. Wee lost his life, and there will never be justice at this point. This is what we're seeing in the system. Uh, they say that the juvenile system is for rehabilitation. I, I say there should still be an element there of punishment, and the punishment should have fit the crime, and they should have gotten uh, a, a fairly significant period of time in jail, in my, in my opinion. I was just going to say that Reagan's Commission on Crime in 1981 noted what I thought speaks to this very case. And and they said, I'm just paraphrasing here that there's one thing a juvenile commits a low level crime. Maybe it's, it's, it's theft or something. You say, Hey, we're not going to clamp down on him as much as, as an adult. But when you have a violent crime that re- certainly results in death, it's no solace to the victim that it was done by someone who was younger. Okay. So that, that doesn't matter. And what I was further shocked about here, now in my view, when you murder someone, it, it shouldn't matter if you had a record or not, but all the more so, according to the Frederick News Post, they said that one of their reporters was asked to leave the courtroom by the judge and at the behest of the defense attorney because they were going to speak about sensitive information about his past record. I'm assuming you don't know anything a bit further about that. Uh, no, all I know is what I read, but I but I can confirm there was a past record, uh, and I know that because the day this happened, the evening this happened, as soon as my deputies looked at the video piece of videotape out there, they were able to identify these two juveniles from previous experiences in the school. So, oh, it, it, listen, they weren't fire boys; they weren't on their way to church that evening. I can tell you that. 
Wow. So they knew them by face. Yes. See, this this is what gets me. This is the the injustice of the entire system right here. Because, again, listen, I'm all about second chances. I'm all about giving a person a break who makes a mistake. But when you start to become, at the age of 15 and 16, uh, a repeat offender known to the law, then you're going to have problems. That that is that is really shocking because what what you're describing about these juveniles is what we're seeing generally in the system is that most people aren't violent criminals and and even within the criminal world um, there's a certain percentage who are but they all have a clear profile and when they start developing repeat assaults together with the drugs sometimes firearms uh, charges then you understand they they need to be deterred. And I'm seeing over and over again, it's almost impossible to lock these people up until they kill someone. And now I guess we see even when they do, they don't get any time. And you look at these kids, why in the world would they have any qualms about continuing this behavior if even after their act resulted in a fatality, they get anger management, and then the judge is like, well, if you know, if, if they don't show up to the classes, we'll have to hold a hearing in the fall. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just... It's a joke. Let, let's just say it for what it is. It's a joke at this point. Uh, once, they, once they step into this realm of violence and see that they can start to get away with things, there's no going back. They become bolder and bolder. The, the acts get more violent, more malicious, more intentional. Um, so, so there's no, com- listen, I'm all about rehabilitation if it can be done, but I, I think in, 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 a lot of cases, we are so far past that because we've allowed things to escalate. We, we, you know, you give an inch, they take a mile, we're seeing it nationwide all across the country, the state of Maryland, you know, let's, let's look, uh, set aside this and look at the adult system. Let's look at the governor's, uh, justice reinvestment act of a couple of years ago that did nothing more than place more criminals back out on our streets. And then, and then, in addition, he's now let go um, over a thousand because of coronavirus, while criminalizing law-abiding Americans for you know his his random uh, arbitrary edicts that have not been done with a legislative body. But we've seen a number of crimes in the Baltimore area committed heinous crimes. Um, we've seen rape suspects let go. Um, and haven't been incarcerated because of uh, fear of spreading the virus. Somehow they have a greater entitlement to avoiding the virus than than anyone else. And let, that, me, yeah. this, let me mention this. I've been fighting with the public defender now since March. Public defender is pushing to release all of their clients, all of the defendants out of our jail uh, for whatever charges because of the coronavirus. In my detention center, there has not been one single case of COVID-19, not one. But they want to push them all out onto the street. This is so ridiculous. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And nobody is speaking for us. No, they're not. Because all these politicians are are caught up in this knee-jerk reaction of of let's do something that feels good. Let's give them a break. Let's leave people out on the street, have a second chance. Now it's coronavirus. Uh, I don't know where it's going to end. I I tell you where I believe it's going to end at some point. I I hope it doesn't. I hope we're not there. I hope it doesn't get there. But it's going to it's going to end up being uh, street justice at some point. I'm I'm sorry to say that, but I I believe that because there is no respect for law and order. Zero. Do do you feel that your um, your deputies, your office is equipped with with handling 
what we're seeing going on in this country, the ubiquitous breakdown in order, the anarchy, the license, especially if you're perceived as committing your violent crime under the guise of a certain cause or movement, then there's really a free reign, or do you not have that so much where you are yet? We, we don't have that so much where we are, but I, and I will tell you, as an agency, my men and women, we are prepared to deal with it, but the system has to back us up. We have to get back on track with the justice system. There has to be punishment for crime. There has to be consequences and accountabilities for, for criminal acts. But until we get that backing by the courts and the system, whatever we do on the street really doesn't mean a whole lot. But we are prepared to deal with it, I believe. That, that, that That's truly very sad because there's the issue of not so much where you are, but in the bigger urban city departments, them standing back. But yeah, I mean, even if you don't stand back and you take a hands-on approach and you try to protect the citizenry, it's, it's catch and release. I mean, that's the best you can do is catch them. But then the judges get involved and they seem to get worse and worse as time goes on. The very impetus for the Reagan agenda was that era in the 60s and 70s with liberal judges, and now they're they're even worse. And certainly I think we've seen that in this case. I was just shocked how, you know, the defense attorneys, it was quoted here in the Frederick News Post, I think that the judge ruled fairly and with compassion for all parties involved. I mean, zero jail time for a murder. I, I don't even understand that. What about the Weed family? I mean, certainly the, the courts weren't sensitive to the Weed family. They couldn't have been to come up with that to come up with that sentence. Um, I, I just want to make one comment too, I, and I think about this all the time. I see this revolving door in the courts and the justice system. People who who basically, uh, you know, both criminal or violent and nonviolent criminals, but the people who who are held the most accountable in the courts and are punished worse are people who have something to lose. Have you ever noticed that? People who have something to lose. People who people who have more to lose. People who are, um, you know, people who are first time first time uh, offend, or first time. Say a guy going through for a first or second time DUI, DUI will get more punishment than these uh, uh, juveniles will get for this murder because well, he's, it, he's it depends who you are. Hey, I mean. Depends who you are, and, and maybe I didn't phrase that quite right. But it, it, no, I, I I see what you're driving at, and and I think what's very disquieting is this: people like you and I don't give a damn about race because we believe in law and order. And, it, you know, you do the crime, you do the time, especially if it's it's a dangerous crime. You're a repeat offender. You need to be locked up. You need to be taken off the streets. But what 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 is scary is that the left has created this narrative that somehow – if you do crime, violent crime, and you happen to be of a certain race, you can't be punished. And what scares me is that we had this conversation a year ago before this entire breakdown the last few months. And I wonder now if it's even worse that there is even less of a deterrent against attacks like this. It's almost like open season. We had a case here. I kid you not. Young, young kids. Um, They were riding their bikes, maybe fifth grade or so. And a group of teens who happened to be black demanded they hand over their bikes. And they said, otherwise, you're racist. Now, we've we've dealt with a lot of that street crime 
um, the greater Baltimore area for many, many years. It's nothing new. But I never heard young teens express it that way. I mean, it's usually just wanted the bike, you know, like anything else. They wanted to commit these crimes. But that it would have that racial component. That's really disturbing. And I'm wondering how much you're seeing that because, I mean, Sheriff, I, I could tell you this much. If the roles were reversed in this case, um, maybe he would have gotten the death penalty. Maybe not, but he would have been locked up forever. Well, if the roles were reversed, uh, I would guarantee you we would have seen uh, uh, we would have seen uh, uh, civil unrest. We would have seen riots, uh, uh, protesting. I mean, uh, I've, I've said this many times in the in the last year. Had it been the other way around, we would have had serious problems here, especially over the last three or four months. Um, but I think these type of things embolden people, especially people who uh, uh, may have more of a, uh, a propensity to commit crimes. They're, they're emboldened by this. That, that, that is really scary because, again, it's not just for the criminal. It's for the people down the pipeline. I mean, I don't know if you're seeing it where you are, but I know in my part of the state it's very common that the juvenile crimes in the Baltimore area, they're getting younger and younger. And I think it's because, yeah, I mean, it, are you seeing that like 13 year olds, 14 year olds? We are. We, are, we have been for a while. Uh, I would say the past couple of years we've seen that, that uh, uh, people committing crimes are younger, um, 12, 13. Yes. Now, that's certainly not as violent as what happened at the fair, but uh, but nonetheless, crimes, criminal acts. And, and, and that's how it starts, especially in the schools. So that that that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. They're, they're talking about removing resource officers from the schools as part of this whole, you know, Antifa agenda. It's one of the things they're talking about. Could you could you talk about the state of play with school violence and how that spills over with gangs and and, and street crime? Well, we in, in Frederick County, of course, uh, our program, SRO program, uh, school resource officer, I have a deputy at every high school in Frederick County, and that deputy also is responsible for the for that feeder cluster that feeds into the high school. Uh, I compare what they do as a unit to a patrol team on the street, and throughout the course of a year, they handle as many incidents, uh, crimes, uh, make arrests in the schools uh, as a patrol team that's working the street. Uh, I think there does need, uh, you know, it's sad we've reached this point, but I do believe that the police need to be in schools. There does need to be a police presence there. We've seen growing gang activity. Uh, one or two of our high schools, absolutely, there's almost a fight every single day in the school. Uh, there's an assault on somebody. Uh, our deputies are breaking up fights. So there does need to be a police presence. So this whole nonsense of, of uh, pulling police out of schools, I, I guarantee you the public would not stand for it. Yeah, and they're just going to destroy the public schools there. You know, people are just going to flee from them because all that's going to do is, like you said, you can't say, oh, it's a school, you know, police don't belong there. Well, I mean, if you get beaten badly in a school, again, again, it's not any uh, more comforting than than on the street. So that makes sense. I know you got to run. You're actually coming to my neck of the woods. Um, but uh, before you leave, I, I got to get your take on this. So, you know, you're watching just helplessly as you see violent criminals uh, get released in the catch and release, the revolving door, um, the parole versus uh, prison time, the anger management versus strong deterrent and punishment. And then at the same time, people like governor lockdown, Larry, and you know, he's not unique. It's really most of them. And uh, my County executive here, 
you you would think so you know you think all right they want to abolish the police they want to abolish sheriffs all right i mean that's pretty crazy but at least we won't have tyranny we'll have anarchy but we don't have tyranny no they don't want to abolish the police they want to use them to then go and and you know arrest people or cite them for not wearing a mask for opening up their business their barber shop how does that make you feel watching that dynamic play out the last couple months I'm very concerned about where we're headed because you're right. The politicians want to use law enforcement for their own personal agendas. Uh, I, I think, you know, we're getting close to the point, you know, pendulums swing both ways. I think uh, the situation will get to the point where the pendulum has got to turn back and swing back. And I believe the larger segment of the population that believes in the rule of law and law enforcement and, and wants to protect uh, their homes and their families I think at the end of the day, the pendulum will swing back and and law enforcement will prevail again. And the criminal justice system has to get right again. It just absolutely has to, or we are not going to survive as a civil society. No, 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 we're not. I mean, you, you watch internationally, you see the protests, the protests are actually against lockdowns in Israel and South Korea. We're seeing that in Germany, whereas in America, we see rioting to commit crime. I mean, it's very sad to watch America descend into this this decadent violence worse than any other country. Typically, we'd, we, we would be better, have more law and order. And I think you're right. The question is, do we have a political party that's going to that's going to champion that? And that that's really what we need. We certainly don't see that in the state of Maryland. And unfortunately, it might have to get worse before it gets better. Um, I, I would like to yeah. make one more comment, uh, is that I think about this every single day. I look at every one of these large cities, and, and pick anyone across the country, Baltimore, New York, Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta, Dallas. I mean, what what can be done? And I don't know that we can turn these things around in these cities, because these cities are almost lost. They are lost to, to crime. They are lost to violence. And, and my God, what do we do to turn this around to bring back the rule of law? I'm not sure what it is we can do. And, and, and like I said, the last time I had you on, you really sit at that nexus because, you know, there's the rural areas and then there's the big cities. And then you have areas like Frederick that are really growing to to small than to midsize cities. And that's really the next frontier. And and if you don't stand the tie there, then we'll literally be at a point where you cannot live in any city in America anymore, where you're going to have to retreat to a. Uh, a specific suburb in a rural area and people are going to have to evacuate from the schools. And and we're already seeing that we're already seeing that flight and it's just going to make the situation worse, particularly for the very minorities that the left says they want to protect and promote, but they're harming them the worst. Right. I mean, I'm sure you see that at a neighborhood level. Absolutely. Absolutely right. We do The, 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 the communities that the Democrats claim to want to protect and look out for, are the ones who are impacted most by these decisions. Absolutely right. Yeah, I'm sure you saw that um, that candidate running for office in Baltimore, that ad. I did. <laughs> uh, it, it really, I mean, it's funny watching just everyone uh, nationally um, – promote that and and they're they're just shocked at the boldness of it but i think it resonates with us in particular being in maryland because everyone knows that is the situation in baltimore i mean there has not been a single republican elected official at any level i think in like 50 years there uh they they've controlled it lock stock and barrel and every day that that city loses population um boarded up blocks there's nothing going on there. Meth labs, um, 
that that's pretty much the only industry you have now. Uh, and how so, long before every city becomes that way? Yeah, and then businesses can't open. I mean that that's the thing. Businesses can't open, and you know you look at a place like Baltimore. I I, I have a lot of people here. They live in the county, but they work in the city. And especially with this whole coronavirus business creating this trend of people working from home, you wonder how much of these businesses are going to lose their physical presence in those cities. They lose that revenue. It's game over. And then you'll have nothing but but gang gangs, crime and drugs in these cities. So I actually saw that advertisement for this particular candidate uh, just before you called this morning. Uh, I actually uh, pulled it up and looked at it. I may reach out to her and offer my support for whatever that's worth to her. Well, you know, every little bit helps. It's obviously going to be an uphill battle. But, you know, if, if if she can't win Baltimore, which is kind of, you know, that's that's the highest hanging fruit. But at least, again, the lower hanging fruit that people in a place like Frederick will will wake up and fight back against this. These liberal judges, liberal prosecutors, liberal defense attorneys. Um, and then and then at least embolden Republicans. I mean, we have Republicans elected in R plus 20 areas that are promoting this criminal justice deformed nonsense. So they're, they're promoting the Baltimore agenda. Now you have. Look, I think, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Some of these, you know, phony conservative think tanks that have that have jumped on board this. So, again, I mean, Baltimore City might be lost, but, you know, Baltimore County, Frederick County, we need to at least preserve the areas that are beginning to 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 have some of these problems. I know where I live. It's um, I could to I could attest 1990 was, I, I believe, the high watermark for crime here. It was bad. But it's gotten – it is the worst it's ever been um, in, in my and, lifetime. And look up here – and look what I'm dealing with politically because I'm trying to enforce the immigration laws to keep it a safer community, to get violent criminal uh, illegal aliens off of our streets and deported. I'm under attack up here constantly for that. But I'll, ne- I'll, never, I'll, never, I'll never give up on this. I will never give in. Well, because it's not enough to have our own domestic criminals that we catch and release – um, we have to release others. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's very salient in the time we're living in where violent criminals don't get any prison time. So, you know, treating them as domestic criminals isn't even going to take them off the streets. Um, certainly, if you're a foreign national criminal, why why should we deal with your recidivism? At least just remove that individual from the country, even if you're not going to get justice out of that. Um, I know ICE officials have told me throughout the country they 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 used to um, turn them over to the to the local officials because you know they felt that the family should get justice before they get deported. They should have to serve prison time. But then they saw they would just release them, so now they're like, well, look, it's better to just get them out of here so they don't reoffend and harm other people. I mean that th- these are the sad decisions that have to be made um, because there are so many localities that don't do what you do to simply get violent criminals off the streets. Um, Sheriff, any closing thoughts before we uh, move on? No, let's just hope and pray that that things can turn around. I got to tell you, this election coming up, I'm worried to death about it. I I think there's only one way this can go, and and, uh, if the Democrats don't steal the election, uh, our only chance to get back to a, a lawful and orderly society uh, if we can, it is, uh, you know, if the outcome is that uh, we can keep the White House and, and, and then again, who knows? Well, I, I think that's the starting point. But but this time we need to make sure there's uh, better personnel on, on the criminal justice issues in Absolutely, that White yeah. House. And, uh, 
You know, I think yeah, we the need judges, judges are critical. Yes, I, th- I think the voices of the sheriffs need to be heard more than some of those Hollywood figures. And and uh, we could do a lot of good things. Um, DOJ could go after them. DOJ needs to step step up their their war on them. And, and, and again, I mean, I wish some of you guys in the Sheriff's Association could pressure this president. You know, he, they don't control all three branches, but he does have that veto pen. And he needs to say, I will not sign a budget bill that gives additional DOJ block grant funding to localities that, that you know, go after the police that go after ICE, that refuse to cooperate, that have this anarchist mindset, you know, then why do you need the funding? I mean, there's got to be some leverage point, and I think that's one of the best ones we have. You're right. You're right. Perfect. I know you got to run. Thanks so much for joining us on short notice. Um, God bless well, you for your work. Very well. Thank you. All righty. Take care. God bless. So, guys, first off, I just want to say this interview with the sheriff just underscores everything we've been saying until now why local elections are so important, sheriff elections, prosecutor elections. I I wasn't going to put him in a hot spot here, but I wasn't very happy with the prosecutor in this case. It's not a Soros prosecutor. It's just, you know, kind of weak. That's going to matter. And, you know, obviously he was talking about the presidential election and and like any Republican, he's going to toe the line with that. And I don't disagree. Yes, there's more of an opportunity for law and order if Trump gets reelected then certainly if Biden does. But the key word there is opportunity. You have to seize that opportunity. You have to make sure that in a second term, people like Sheriff Jenkins and Mark Lamb and Sheriff Daniels in Arizona and these guys that are good on immigration, they're good on crime, these are the guys that are going to have the president's ear and not whatever that Beyonce or... A Kardashian, I guess Kardashian and Kanye West and and the whole merry band of Kushner's jailbreak clowns. That's the thing. I've said this over and over again. There's a third option to do you vote for Biden or do you vote for Trump, but allow things just to fall on chance like they did in the first term? No, it's more than that. It's working at a local level, electing better people at a local level, and then Again, pressuring the president to, you know, as, as a better Trumper. We all need to be a better Trumper. There's no different than with Reagan. You always have to hold that right flank. Otherwise, you're not going to get it. And when it comes to crime, he's got to fight back with DOJ, with the budget bills. I mean, look, this is getting really bad in San Francisco. The San Francisco Transit just announced they're going to refuse to release crime surveillance videos because it will make people racist. I'm just reading different headlines I'm seeing. Men sucker punched elderly man in Chicago. This is all over the place. All over the place. So, I'm just telling you folks, this is happening now. We are losing a generation of gains against violent crime right here, right now. We are worse off than we were four years ago on every account. That is just a reality. It's not It's not to rip the president. It's a way of saying you can't climb a mountain that you think you have already 
declined. You can't score a touchdown if you think you already have the ball in the end zone. You have to recognize it's not. You could debate as to why that's the case, whose fault it is, confluence of factors. I don't care. But stop lying to yourself like, oh, this is great. We just have to make sure Biden doesn't win. No, this is a living hell we live in right now. And by the way, they still have not caught the guy, the suspect, whatever his name is, Love, that beat the guy nearly to death in Portland. They still have not caught him. I guarantee you if the roles were... Reversed, they would have caught the guy. You also have this case out of North Carolina where a man released from jail. Hours later, he murdered a seven-year-old girl just three hours after being let out. Three hours. Do you know what he was arrested for that day? It, was, it happened on June 23rd. 26-year-old Shaquille Martian Francis he was arrested for assault in North Carolina, pointing a gun at someone. Well, gee, someone points a gun at someone, and you arrest them, and you let them go. What do you think they're going to do when you release them? Well, they're going to point a gun. And this time, the guy pulled the trigger, shot seven-year-old Aaliyah Grace Norris in the head. Probably some sort of mistaken gang fight, shot into the wrong car, or whatever it was. And this was a black girl. And again, those lives don't matter because only black criminals matter, but not black victims of crime and certainly not white victims of crime or any victim of crime. Where is that movement? Where is that movement for victims of crime? Where is it? Now, obviously, we have a lot more to go over in terms of the virus, we didn't get to today more and more evidence pointing to the fact that we have hit herd immunity thresholds around 20% in Florida, Arizona. It happens everywhere. The places where it didn't hit, like in the Philippines, despite an insane lockdown and mask wearing, Peru is the same thing. It's spreading. It's going to do what it does up until that threshold. And once you reach that threshold, it's not going to do what it does. How many times are we going to have to see this? How many times? How much longer is it going to take? Who knows? But I just wanted to say, I have out an article today on asymptomatic transmission. This entire thing was born out of the fact that they said, look, we're going to do something unprecedented and lock down and quarantine the healthy with the sick, something we have never done. See, remember, when we talk about, before we talk about the just the efficacy, the public policy aspect, the prudential aspect of the, of the politics, just from a legal standpoint, they're like, well, a state has the power to quarantine. But the definition of quarantine means to quarantine sick people from healthy people. Not to quarantine everyone, not to make everyone wear a mask. Well, they're like, well, maybe you're asymptomatic. That's what was driving this thing. Well, it turns out a new study of 33,410 
close contacts of nearly 400 um, SARS-CoV-2 uh, infected individuals near near Wuhan. It wasn't in Wuhan. It was the province over. They studied it, and they found an extremely weak um, capability of transmission from asymptomatic. Very few people. Again, this jives with uh, University of Florida, Gainesville, Department of Biostatistics study um, a couple weeks ago that found, again, very small rate of transmission. It was 28 times higher um, among symptomatic people. There was another Chinese study in May that found a very weak transmission capability. I don't think they found any out of 455 cases. And remember, China, I know, you know, people worry about their research, but remember, it's the other way around. That's if you saw research making this a bigger deal. So people would think, oh, you know, you know, we, 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 this is really bad. We need PPE. We need everyone to wear masks. Well, who sells them? China. But why would China have any vested interest in diminishing the threat level, the perceived threat level of this virus? But moreover, the two other findings from this study were, number one, that it grows with the severity of the presented symptoms, the symptoms presented in the individual, right? So we've seen this in almost every study has shown this. The more symptomatic you are, it's not like you know a switch, asymptomatic or symptomatic. There's endless studies showing this. So they looked at the secondary attack rate, meaning secondary attack rate, meaning you have the primary guy infected. Who gets infected as a secondary individual it was 0.3% for asymptomatic. It was 3.3% for mild, 5.6% for moderate, 6.2% for severe or critical cases. They found fever and expectoration seemed to be more, you know, transmissible, which kind of makes sense. So that's where it's coming from. It's not to say asymptomatic can't or don't transmit at all, but what I'm telling you is the same way a severely symptomatic person is more likely to give that over to someone than a mildly symptomatic person, so asymptomatic is going to be even less. It's it's not that hard to understand. And again, this really is very related to why we're seeing very little child transmission. And then the other thing they found is that almost all of the cases were among households. They didn't even find many among mass transit, actually. It was almost all households. So this is the big lie. Everyone thinks, oh my gosh, there's this like superstitious thing. You're outside, even inside. You pass someone for three seconds in a Walmart. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. We have to wear a mask. Not that the mask helps. The point is this. Asymptomatic don't really transmit much. And it's and, and and it's indoors because what CDC has said, what everyone has said, I mean, this is nothing new, is it's sustained indoor contact for 20 to 30 minutes. Like you'll sit indoors, close contact, and have a conversation with someone. This was known from day one. This is nothing new, I'm telling you. So... What we find is both of these are a lie. The notion that there's broad asymptomatic transmission and the notion that you could just pass someone 
You see these people in the street, they'll pass you and they'll like turn away and put on their mask. It's like it's like a whole ritual to show how great they are. You don't transmit by passing someone, you know, randomly. That's why it's all in the households. So unless you came up with a lockdown that divided up family members, that's the only way you would you would kind of slow the transmission. And then it, even then, like any other form of lockdown, no matter how severe, how long are you going to keep that up? The virus doesn't go away until you achieve herd immunity. <laughs> You're going to achieve it the hard way or the easy way. But the point is, we are making revolutionary assumptions to promulgate and to justify or justify the promulgation of some of the most draconian, unconstitutional, disruptive mandates, wearing a mask everywhere and shutting down and you can't go here, you can't do that. It's all based on assumptions that just aren't proven. And in fact, the evidence we have shows the contrary. Why are they not doing a comprehensive study to show asymptomatic transmission remember the world health organization said two months ago it doesn't you know it's i think the quote was very rare transmission then the media went nuts and they walked it back notice how you always have to walk it back but without any evidence same thing with the masks why not do randomized clinical trials when the record is 10 to 0 in terms of randomized clinical trials when it comes to, to comes to the flu and there's no reason this should be worse than the flu, because if anything, this is more of a dry, atomized cough that is even more atomized. It wouldn't be larger than the wetter molecules of the flu. It certainly wouldn't be larger. If anything, it would be even smaller, and masks certainly wouldn't work. Whatever happened to that Danish study? They said it was imminent a couple weeks ago. Didn't come out. Kind of interesting. The rumors I've heard is that because they were going to find <laughs> masks don't work. <laughs> but even if they did work, the entire premise was, oh, you might be asymptomatic. So you don't know. You, everyone has to wear it. Well, asymptomatic don't transmit. And as, as some doctors I've spoken to, the sick, cruel irony is that by covering an asymptomatic person's mouth let's say he does have it asymptomatically you might make that person symptomatic by recycling and growing the viral load back into his lungs the lungs were designed by god to filter this stuff out so like everything we do with lockdown not only do we harm more people with collateral damage but we actually make the virus worse we drag it out longer we expose vulnerable people longer we grow viral loads we create more panic and get more people into hospitals where certainly they are symptomatic there and they are going to spread it nosocomially even more. This is where, you know, this is where we live. Anarchy and tyranny put together. So anyway, we got a lot more on both of these fronts. We also have the court cases that one after another, the courts are mandating transgenderism. My Idaho piece from yesterday, check it out at conservativereview.com. Email me at dharwitz at blazemedia. Thank you for listening. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. <laughs>